In a world of modern electricity, if your home has an atrium, you're either an eccentric architecture student or an overly sophisticated billionaire. But in ancient Rome, almost every home had an atrium. And today, we're going to look at atriums, photography, river rapids, and how focused love should be. I'm Scott Beyer, and this is the Love Better Podcast, where we explore the truths and the lies about love, and more importantly, how to turn love into a skill, something we can get better at and hone along the way. In architecture, an atrium, plural atria, is a large open air or skylight-covered space surrounded by a building. Atria were a common feature in ancient Roman dwellings, providing light and ventilation to the interior. In ancient Roman culture, the atrium was the open central court with enclosed rooms on all sides. The atrium was the center of the home, and typically it contained at least three things. The first was a shallow pool embedded in the floor called an impluvium. The pool was both beautiful and functional, as it would catch the rainwater when it cascaded into the atrium during inclement weather. After all, the atrium was open air, and brought the outside inside. Instead of a covered front porch, you had an atrium. The second was a table, typically made of stone, that allowed the family to sit and eat meals together. The atrium was typically the most lavishly appointed section of the Roman home, a gathering place for family, friends, and guests. Eating, chatting, and generally reclining was often done in this central courtyard. Which brings us to the third and final item that every atrium contained. An atrium worth its salt always contained a hearth. The hearth was a central area of the home where the family would gather for warmth, cooking, and socializing. Meals were made, pots bubbled on a rack above the open fire, and since modern matches had not yet been invented, the hearth was kept perpetually burning. Those home fires needed to stay lit. Do you know what Romans called the hearth? Do you want to guess what the Latin word is for that fireplace that sat in the center of the atrium, the central part of the home? The Roman word for hearth, the thing that all the family gathered around, that all the home was built around, and that all the warmth radiated out from, is focus. The Latin word for hearth is focus. The thing you focus on is the thing you love. And when you lose that focus, you lose your love. And if we're going to talk about focused love, we must go to the city of Ephesus. In the book of Revelation, Jesus talks to seven different churches. One of those churches was the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the most successful churches in all of the first century. The book of Acts, chapter 19, tells us that Paul spent two years in Ephesus. And during that two-year time period, all of ancient Asia heard the word of God. The Ephesian church was devoted to God, passionate about evangelism, and they quickly gained a reputation for being lovers of God and zealous disciples of Jesus. Yet... Only a few decades later, the book of Revelation records Jesus' report card for Ephesus, and it had changed. In Jesus' own words, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, 
the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. The church in Ephesus had left their first love, and now their lampstand was going to be taken away too. The fire had gone out. They'd lost their focus. The religious activity was there, But the passionate desire for the relationship, that had fled. They'd become complacent and comfortable instead of longing to be close to Jesus. They'd let the home fires burn out. If we're going to love better, our love must stay focused on the original source. The Ephesians loved being religious, but they had neglected their love for Jesus. And this can happen in a lot of relationships. Do you love your spouse or do you love being married? There is a difference. The one that loves being married is wrapped up in the aspects of marriage that benefit them. The companionship, the division of labor, the comfort of a home, and the structure of a life you've become accustomed to. None of these things are bad to love, but there is a difference between loving those things and loving your spouse. To love your spouse is to focus on them, who they are, their goodness, their character, the joy you find in bringing them joy. It means that you desire intimacy with them, to trust them, and to be trusted by them. You want to know them more and draw nearer to them. Focus on the spouse, and the marriage takes care of itself. Focus on the marriage, and you might find yourself looking for a new spouse instead of remembering your first love. The same can easily be said about parenting. Lots of people love the idea of being parents, but that is not the same thing as loving your kids. In his letter to the preacher Titus, Paul tells Titus to encourage young women to love their husbands, to love their children. There's a reason for this. Anyone can love the idea of kids and husbands, but when those kids are colicky, You haven't slept more than two hours at a stretch for a whole week, and your husband can't even remember to put his clothes in the proper hamper? It takes a better person to love their children and their husbands then. Focused love asks the question, what am I trying to love? Is it Jesus or religion? Is it my friend or do I love having friends? Is it the people or the stuff? Ask yourself, what do I love? And when you do that, you are finding what the hearth fire of your life is. And you are also finding the photographer's focus. If you've ever used a nice camera with a lens that can be adjusted manually, you probably looked through the viewfinder, put your hand on the lens, twisted the knurled ring, which by the way is called the focusing ring, and adjusted it until the subject came into focus. 
Most cameras focus automatically, but there is a reason that high-end cameras still allow for manual focus. Sometimes the thing you want to focus on can be missed if you use automation. When I worked at Point Defiant Zoo and Aquarium, we often had photographers come and take pictures of the animals. And they often had to use manual focus because, well, the animals were inside cages. If you autofocus the camera, it will see the cage and miss that lion, tiger, or bear you've been looking for. Manual focus lets you bypass the obstacle and set your sights on what really is important. Love requires that kind of focus, too. If we're going to love our neighbor, we may need to look past their faults, irritations, or immaturities to really see them. They say that first impressions are important because, well, sadly, first impressions often become lasting impressions. In many cases, people use first impressions as a shortcut to make decisions, especially when meeting new people or encountering new situations. These initial impressions can influence how people interact with each other and whether they choose to pursue further interactions or opportunities. These initial impressions can be difficult to change, even if they turn out to be inaccurate or incomplete. Love is the antidote to the first impression fallacy. That coworker that seemed snobbish and condescending, they might just be nervous and overcompensating for it at first encounter. Or the shy person that could easily fade into the background of your life, they might be chock full of hidden talents and a generous heart. Love lets us manually focus our hearts so that we avoid stereotyping people by the bars and walls they put up. Focused love bypasses the differences to find the similarities. Just like cameras have f-stops to find the right plane of focus, learning to love better means we need to learn to find the right plane of focus too. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul reminds us that Christians should know not to focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. Everybody has a soul. And if we focus on that, we will love better. And if you were focusing in the introduction, I promised you three things, atriums, photography, and river rapids. So it's time to set our sights on high-speed aquatic turbulence. River rapids are classified based upon the international scale of difficulty. The classification system ranges from class one, the easiest, to class six, the highest difficulty that poses definite life-threatening potential for even expert rafters. River rapids are characterized by speedy currents, turbulent large waves, and high volumes of water. Rivers can change from placid and calm to roaring rapids in a very short amount of time, and typically rapids are caused by one of two factors, increased volume or a narrowing channel. In other words, add more water or focus the water you have into a tighter space. Same water, same gradient. You just take the water and squeeze it into a smaller space, and you move from a lazy class one to a rockin' class five ride. The same principle applies to love. Focusing our love often means narrowing our focus. Stop trying to do everything. I mean it. Just stop. Stop.
You ever heard the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none? That is true. You can't be everything to everybody. What are the titles that would matter to you on your tombstone? Here lies devout believer, accomplished professional, generous philanthropist, respected colleague, faithful friend, beloved husband or wife, devoted father or mother, brave adventurer, dedicated volunteer, heroic veteran. You might be able to pick a couple of those to fit on your crypt, but you ain't going to get them all. So focus what matters. Let me give you an extreme example of this. The Apostle Paul chose a life without marriage so he could have the legacy of undivided attention to Christ. How do I know that? Because he said it in his letter to the church at Corinth. Here are three verses on his choice to remain unmarried, each of them from chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul made choices, and it narrowed his river. You've got to decide because... Eventually, it will all be water under the bridge, and you won't have any more time. When we focus on the legacy we want to leave, it lets us prioritize what water to carry and where to channel our energy. More hours at work? Maybe. If philanthropy is a legacy item for you, maybe not if devoted husband and father are what you are shooting for. What are you hoping to etch into your riverbed? Brave adventurers are probably going to make different nutritional decisions than the woman that's chasing the title of beloved grandmother and cookie enthusiast. I'm not even trying to tell you which choices are the right ones. I'm just saying that the choices matter, and they will shape the speed and direction of the river that runs through your life. A focused river can cut its own path. Focused love centers the home fires and keeps them burning. It doesn't get distracted by the cages and walls people put up. It looks closer and sees them. And like every good river rapid, it says no to the many so it can prioritize the things that matter. Learn to love better. Focus your love. If you've listened this far, hopefully we've done something to help make your life a little bit better. Would you mind returning the favor and helping us by subscribing to the podcast through your favorite platform? By sharing with others or leaving a review on Apple Podcast, you help us reach more people. Also, if you want more information about the work I'm doing at Eastland, visit us at eastlandchristians.org or my personal Bible site, biblegrad.com, where you can sign up for daily Bible devotionals called Bible Bites and receive them in your email each morning take online Bible classes, or find videos that will help you study through the Bible throughout the year. And until next time, remember, you are loved.
So go love better.